Hi there. Welcome back to The Five Things. I'm Kenny Gold. This month, while Toby Daniels and the Social Media Week team are busy prepping and executing SMW1, a worldwide virtual conference, we are replaying interviews from his new weekly web show, Social Media Week One Show. Earlier this week, we heard from Matthew Sweezy, Director of Market Strategy at Salesforce. If you haven't heard it yet, I urge you to go back and give it a listen. In this podcast, we'll hear from Neil Waller, CEO of Whaler. He will discuss how he is prioritizing objectives for both himself and his team, what he calls conscious consumerism, and you'll hear his take on the term social distance. Here are Toby and Neil. Okay, so joining us next up, we have Neil Waller. Neil is the founder and CEO of Whaler, a global influencer marketing agency. Welcome, Neil. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Toby, how are you doing? What's up, man? Nice to see you. Thanks nice so much to see for you too. And congrats to you and the team on the epic job you've all done to pivot at light speed and put on this amazing uh, well, change of, of events. It's really great. You. It's also thank good to so see you not in your bathroom. <laughs> That's true. I think the last time we spoke, I was. Uh, Yes, I was trapped in my bathroom trying to escape my kids who are uh, interrupting a Zoom call. But uh, that is, uh, when we talk about new realities, that's certainly one that, that many of us, certainly those that have kids, are, are having to a, deal with at the moment. I think that's a pain many will uh, associate with. <laughs> Actually, a, a quick funny soundbite for us is that when we first started Whaler, we had a very tiny office in London. I'm now in Los Angeles. And there was a toilet in the office and there was only one meeting room. So occasionally the toilet would become meeting room number two and there'd be a sign outside the door saying in use as meeting room. And, and much like it was, we wouldn't have known you were in your bathroom. We would position a laptop for video calls in that, in that bathroom to do uh, meeting room number two. So I chose a shower curtain as the backdrop to my zoom calls, which unfortunately gave it away. But um, yes, this is a slightly nicer kind of a situation and set up for sure. So um, uh, much like with Matthew, we, we actually sort of kick things off by, by um, asking our audience to respond to a, a quick um, poll question, which we'll, we'll get to um, the responses of towards the end of this conversation. But the poll question we'd love to throw out to, to our audience right now is, are influencers who are choosing not to pause their paid sponsorship campaigns insensitive to the current global situation? Yes or no? So we'll get to those responses in uh, a little bit. Um, but for now, um, let's jump into our conversation with Neil. So as a global leader in the influencer marketing space, you, uh, I'm sure, have such an interesting kind of perspective and purview of, of what's happening right now. What, what's, your, what's your general take uh, in terms of what's happening, especially in regards to, to how your business and, and your sector has been impacted? So it's, a, it's I think in general, obviously, you know, advertising, anyone who's on the advertising agency side, uh, of things or publishing channels uh, has has had quite a journey in the last four weeks, as has everyone else in all sorts of industries. Um, to be fair, and I think it's 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 kind of been a cycle and a cycle that continues until we know really what the future outlook looks like. Uh, you know, it starts off with the immediate reaction of everybody just pausing everything. You know, not sure what to do with budgets, not sure. Uh, <laughs> what the future looks like, not wanting to seem irresponsible in any way, and, and just very quick pauses and cancellations of things. And obviously then that set a lot of concerns through through the industry. I think as we got into you know week two or three, people started to kind of settle into the new norm and go, we still need to be communicating um, 
with consumers and with the audiences. And actually, you know, there's a responsibility on brands, which to the last conversation, Matt, many are stepping up to. But I think there has also come moments of just concern over doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, being misconstrued, trying to do the right thing, but being seen as being overly commercial in doing it. I think that became the next kind of challenge for people to to think about and look to um, overcome. And then I think now, again, from the advertising purview that I see, it's almost actually it's okay. We've we've had this for quite a while now. Depending on what news channel we go onto or what day we go onto the news, there's good and bad news as to how long this might all be. And so people are actually now back in the well. Hold on, is this going to be Q2, Q3, and Q4? And and that's starting to you know slow down marketing cycles uh, as well. So it's a real up and down. I would say on a whole, it comes across from an advertiser perspective, more optimistic in that brands are still wanting to communicate and wanting to step in and do their part to help, uh, you know, communicate things around social distancing and supporting small businesses, uh, mm. supporting workers and essential workers. But it goes through the cycles. On the influencer side of the spectrum, it's a really interesting time for them because from a income perspective, and, you know, you've got to think influencers are a large spectrum of individuals, some that are, you know, very famous, millions and millions of followers have done huge deals and are financially very secure. There's a lot that are uh, smaller, uh, kind of individual publishers who are freelancers, whose income is a lot less secure, and they actually rely upon it uh, for getting by, much like many of other people working and who are having, you know, pay reductions or furloughs. So for influencers, there's financial concerns, but there's also never been a more important time for them and the role they play with their audiences. So their engagement's going through the roof. Their audiences are turning to them for advice, for inspiration, for learning, for filling the time, for that feeling of, of connection. Um, so they have this you know, great opportunity to build that connection with audiences and play an important role in society. But kind of it is underlied with this you know, financial concern that many will, will have where this is an income stream and their sole income stream. Um, for them. And I think the last thing that we're seeing uh, is the opportunity for both influencers and companies like us. People are just thirsty for education at this moment in time. People are trying to turn any spare time they have into a moment to better themselves, be it cooking, fitness, marketing best practices. And so it's just feeling like an opportunity to try and put on educational resources for people to upskill themselves and come out of this knowing more than they did and furthering their kind of career or knowledge in some in some shape or form as the ceo of a, of a global agency you obviously got teams in multiple cities around the world um how are you steadying the ship from sort of your standpoint particularly in terms of like how you're prioritizing your own time and the priorities of your teams uh, to ensure that in the short term you can kind of steady the ship as you kind of like navigate these very choppy waters um as well as also come out the other side hopefully um stronger in in whatever way you might measure that it's a great question and i i, you know, I don't know that i've necessarily got the perfect answer we'll we'll all look you know in hindsight and say what were the best paths to take i think there's a a few key principles that we're trying to do so from the top down it's transparency all the way through so you know you're trying to be as open and communicative as possible with the team 
So they're not filling in any blanks um, themselves and potentially, you know, making wrong assumptions on things. It's better to over communicate in this instance than under communicate. I think the second thing that we're trying to do is take the time to make decisions and not make knee jerk reactions or rush. And it's one of those ones where with every day you get more information. And you know, we've said as a team, it's far better that we get to make a decision and we do as best as we can for that to be a decision for a month or a quarter. And the team don't have to worry about different things happening on a daily basis or weekly basis. And so we're trying, you know, circumstances may dictate something different. We can't control what happens in the world. But, you know, we've not made knee-jerk reactions that then we have to change later or made brash statements about, hey, everything's going to be fine. You have absolutely nothing to worry about. It's trying to level with people and be transparent and then slowly make decisions that we think can last uh, time. And, and that's challenging to do amongst all the news um, that are there. And then lastly, from the global team perspective, it's keep that team connected. And thankfully, it's exactly as Matt said, with all the tools that are there today, you know, within reason, I actually think the team feel better connected than they did before, yeah. like Matt does with his friends, because they're taking the time to help each other and and connect. But there are things that you can do. You know, we've got a few champions within the business that will put on quizzes and various different uh, things. And we're going to hold a virtual summit in a few weeks time um, mm. inside the, the company. But, yeah, I think transparency and taking your time yeah. to, to make decisions that can last is, is the most helpful thing. And, and let, let's switch to, to uh, the, your, your clients and then obviously the influencers you're working with, particularly on like specific campaigns. When you talked about the importance of education at this point, what, what would you say are some of the kind of most important do's and don'ts um, that you're communicating both to the client and also to the influencers as they begin to kind of like, you know, pivot to new campaigns, new messaging, new content they're creating and putting out to the world? I think one of the first things that we got asked by the community or we went out to educate the influence community and with the so reason brands or the influence community don't hide from the situation. I'm going back more towards the start of it. Don't pretend this isn't happening. Mm -hmm. You know, travel influencers don't feel that you've got to carry on posting as if you're traveling, you know, be real with people. You're there to talk through the audience, share what's going on. Uh, with you and be that source of inspiration for them. And it's basically adapt. It seems obvious, but you know, most things are until they're said and it's helpful to, to articulate them. It's adapt to the situation and talk about it and how it's affecting you and how you can help people. And I think, you know, to Matt's point with, with brands, it's about what can they do to have a positive impact in this case. And lots of what we're seeing is them using their power and the campaigns that they can create to help spread the message of social distancing, of washing your hands, of supporting small businesses in a way that makes sense and ties back to the brand um, as well. But, right. you know, it's it's not about pushing product, but there'll be somewhere it is about pushing product. So, you know, there's a one, this is hashtag not an advert, um, but masterclass, you know, it's a great online series where, you know, I've, one of the things I've been learning is to cook. <laughs> And so going on those classes. And so there are services where they can go and push their brand and it has that social impact. Right, um, right. As long as they as well. do so, obviously, with um, with some sensitivity to obviously what's happening to the economic hardship, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, if you're creating value, um, it's okay to, to be charging for um, the products and services that you're providing. I think that's like a really important point. 
Um, exactly. Matt referenced this, and I'd be interested to get your take on it. We, we talked about kind of like how brands are, you know, um, um, demonstrating a sort of a, 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 a the, the sort of more humane sort of side and, and really sort of like recognizing the importance of their their sort of corporate obligations at this moment in time um and and for the time being that's just very inspirational it's very encouraging um but matt made the point that that you know after this is all over to what extent are marketers and these brands really just going to revert back to kind of like the way that they did things before in that sort of like push kind of mentality of, of how they think about kind of marketing communications what, what's your take on that so actually I have quite an optimistic view um, on that. And I think if you think of, you know, it, it feels like this has been going on a long, long time. It's we're in week four, mm -hmm. the speed of which brands have reacted in this way and the amount that have and the message. I don't think that just happens on, you know, the toss of a coin. I think it's stuff right. that they've been building into the DNA of their companies. And I think, you know, there has been a push of which social media has been a great component of towards, let, let's call it conscious consumerism, where consumers are choosing to make purchases from brands that are being responsible, responsible supply chain, responsible in how they give back, responsible in how they treat their employees. I, I can't remember the banking firm that wasn't there one where they said, we're not going to IPO any brands that don't have boards with female board members on it. I think society as a whole has been moving towards a much more conscious consumerism um, model. And I think, you know, Matt reeled off stats of the acceleration that this has caused in online groceries and online food deliveries. And I think they will lower after this, but I think they'll remain much higher. And I think it's accelerated the path towards those things happening. I think that's going to be the safe with this conscious consumerism. Now, Will it remain at the same level? No, probably not. But will it be far further forward than it would have been prior to this? I'm pretty right. sure that's the case. And it's because it's what consumers are demanding and consumers are voting with their, their wallets now. And social media and the fabric of communication that's created is a large force in, in, in driving that. So I think the fact that they've responded so quickly on mass mm -hmm. doing this shows it's, it's been building up in the DNA of companies and marketing teams and, and management teams um, yeah. as well. Yeah, we're starting to really see the, the, the true color of these these organizations. Uh, you can't fake it. Uh, as you say, it has to be kind of built, built into the DNA. I mean, I think that, you know, we, we referenced Salesforce before, but you know, this is an organization that has been for decades now um, working really hard to kind of impact in important and significant ways internally and also kind of at the societal level. Um, their ability to be able to be agile and pivot in the moment and, and think about the ways in which they can really help to address what's happening right now is a product of the fact that they've been doing this for such a long time. All right. I, I, would, just, I would just add to it very quickly, Toby. Yeah, that, sure. And this is perhaps an unpopular opinion. I don't think it's any longer altruistic to be doing it. It's actually no. what's making companies sell and be profitable and protect shareholder value. And actually, is there anything wrong with that? Because if we want to drive the most change, shareholders ultimately and investors are what hold the most value there's so much in the advertising industry about you know brands being beholden to the quarterly calls well if all of a sudden this is non-altruistic it's actually what society demands and what consumers vote with their wallet it's going to drive the most change and i think that's becoming a great thing and if it's not altruistic it will actually start happening on scale and it will remain 
not just three times like this. We're sending out of a lot of data to support uh, some of these kind of like ideas in the future. So, uh, you know, hopefully um, the, the brands recognize the opportunity as well as obviously their, their obligations. So a question I asked Matt um, earlier on. So, you, you know, you, you've been quarantined. I'm not sure exactly about how long now, but I know that you're out in California. Um, so what are some of the good and bad habits that you've developed over, over your period of, of quarantine? So I think, you know, I, I, to, to, actually, you know, one of the things I've liked and I've seen is the notion, let's not call this social distancing, let's call it physical distancing. I've seen yes. that circle a few times and I love that. And that's why I'm speaking to more people. People are, mm. are more connected and I hope that's a trend and video calls more mm -hmm. than anything is a trend that will, will stay, staying in such many friends. So I, I really wish it would be called physical uh, distancing. Uh, bad habits, I don't mind doing it at the moment to support small businesses. Maybe that's an excuse. If my Postmates Grubhub orders stay what they are post-COVID-19, I won't have enough money left uh, for, for, for other things. So that's definitely the bad habit of the, of the moment. <laughs> you're, you're speaking to all of us, man. It's okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, you know, one of the things that we've talked a lot about, particularly as we've sort of, be, you know, we've made this like pivot to a virtual conference is the fact that um you know we're, we're all discovering um these like new ways to connect and communicate you know, that were not habitual before we weren't doing this all of the time despite the fact that technology is not new um what's key here is that we are developing new habits and behaviors and, and from new habits and behaviors we can actually start to create new paradigms in regards to how we kind of like function and operate in the business world and and more largely um as a society all right, so let's go to the back to the poll, um, just to sort of see uh, how people uh, responded. So the question again was, um, are influencers who are choosing not to pause their paid sponsorship campaigns insensitive to the current global situation? Yes or no? Let's see the poll response. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. Kind of not what I was expecting. What do you think? So yes, 31%, no, 69%. What do you think, Neil? I think, look, I mean, I'm biased, right? Given the company that I run and the sector I represent, but they have a role in publishing and they need that infantry. I mean, and there's some people doing great things. I, you know, two campaigns to mention Dove and it's the right on your hand. Why are you washing your hand message? That's, that's a great cause to support <coughs> distancing. And then on TikTok, it's, um, the DoorDash open for delivery uh, mm -hmm. campaign, you know, celebrating those essential workers and thanking them for what they're doing. So. No, I think they have an important role to play, as, uh, to play as publishers. And as long as they're doing it the right way and being cognizant of the scenario, then I, I think it's, it's, it's right with what they do. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And I think I've, the Grey Group worked with obviously P&G and a TikTok influencer on the... Charlie uh, D'Amelio. Exactly. And that campaign, I mean, it's just that's reached over a, hundred, uh, uh, over a billion views at this point, which is just insane. Um, so yeah, right message, right time. Then yeah, these paid campaigns absolutely, uh, you know, should make, um, you know, should, 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 should be, um, you know, perceived as being like, okay. Should All right. they carry on their old paid campaign doing the same thing? No, no, no. Also to your earlier point about travel influences, I'm not sure all travel influences have quite got that message. Uh, I'm seeing, still seeing quite a lot of, uh, of content that I would, would in many ways be deemed inappropriate at this time. Um, all right, so um, as a reminder to our audience, please use the Q&A feature if you want to ask um, Matthew or Neil any questions. We're going to kind of move into uh, the, the Q&A portion now. So I'm going to invite uh, Matthew to, to jump back on and, and join the conversation. And we're going to um, just, just jump into kind of a, a conversation 
um, digging into some of the questions that people are asking. So I'm going to invite uh, Matthew to, to jump back on and, and join the conversation. And we're going to um, just, just jump into kind of a, a conversation, um, digging into some of the questions that people are asking and also um, um, uh, just getting, you know, both Matthew and Neil's kind of like, you know, perspective on, on some of the things that, that our audience is interested to hear more about. All right. So, um, okay. So let's take our first question from Catalin. Uh, how do you convince brands influencer, how do you convince brands influencer marketing is still a good idea, particularly now, even though they have to stop their marketing spending? I guess that question is for you, Neil. So I think, you know, it, brands still, it, first of all, you've got to convince brands that they should still be doing some advertising is the first thing. They still need to be communicating to audiences. Um, as long as that is the case of the brand, then you look at influencer marketing as a channel where eyeballs are and where consumers are spending time. So, you know, your most important thing to do in marketing is reach the consumers where they are in the medium and in the conversation that they want to receive it. So, you know, influencers engagement across TikTok and Instagram is going and YouTube, while well, all of the platforms is going through the roof during those times. It's clearly where people are spending uh, their time and influencers own engagement rates are going up as they support people. So if, if the decision of the brand is still to be advertising and communicating with audiences, then influencer marketing should be on the forefront of channels. Given those raises in, in performance and engagement and, and time spent, and then also just, it's always been a relatively low cost channel to reach people and it's quick and it's reactive. And then it's the diversity of voices and conversations in the small communities that you can reach uh, as well. So I think on a, on a speed and cost basis, uh, it's one of the fastest channels to, to get a message out there. Yeah. And I want to tag uh, just on the tail end of that. It's you know, the, the, the idea that, you know, advertising is bad right now that we should not be talking to our marketplace is the complete wrong idea that a brand has. Right. If you are not in someone's life right now, finding some way that you can add some type of value, whether that's just simply, you know, you know, understanding who they are, talking with them, communicating in some shape or way, someone else is. Right. And the brands are going to come out of this, are going to sustain and they're going to live on those relationships they built during this time. Like that's going to get them out of recovery super fast and build a whole nother uh, echelon of their business moving forward. So th the concept that we don't need to be advertising is false. We do need to be advertising. The concept is what should we be talking about and what conversation should we be having via those methods and via those mediums? That's the conversation we should be having. It's not a do we or don't we? It's a what, what do we talk about? And I think influencers give you such a powerful way to do that. And you just gave some phenomenal examples with Dove and as well as the TikTok campaigns. Right. Like it's human to human. They're very human. Like it's super authentic because it's coming from someone that's not the brand. Right. And so and I think the other aspect is don't think about advertising right now as selling. Just think about it as staying in front of them in some way, shape or form. Right. You have to reset the goals of what you expect. Don't expect the advertisements to drive you know, massive amounts of revenue. No one's selling a whole lot of stuff right now unless you're in a very select few industries. But what those people are doing is they're maintaining those relationships. When they come out of this, they rebound faster. Um, so I think that, you know, that's the conversation we should be having. It's not do we, don't we? It's you don't have an option not to be in your marketplace right now. And you've also got question. the benefit with influencers of not having, you know, they are the production team. They are the editing team. It's, it's, it's a way to continue communicating and marketing and creating assets without all the challenges of, well, we can't go on location. We can't put a crew uh, together as well. 
Mm-hmm. So I have a, a, a question um, from an attendee who's chosen to, to, to remain anonymous, but it's a really interesting question. So they um, presumably are doing marketing representing uh, an airport. Um, and they would like to know, how would you suggest is the best way to stay in contact with travelers at the same time not seem insensitive towards the situation? Matt? Yeah, I mean, the concept is travel is going to come back, right? Travel, if we look at all the statistics, travel is the number one most affected industry right now, just because no one can do it. Everyone's on lockdown, so there's no industry, right? But that doesn't mean it's not going to come back. So what I would do right now is I would be deeply understanding what are people concerned about and what are going to be their questions when they come back. Like, what are the things that we're going to have to tackle? You're going to have to tackle some very basic issues. How safe and how clean is your airport? Right. So think about right now, just going, making sure that you are creating content of people cleaning and showing how you're doing this documented and then get that out there. You don't have to make a massive advertising campaign to get people to travel. There's a pent up demand. And once this thing gets back and once we're allowed to travel, people are going to travel again. Right. And as you look at the, you know, it'll be a stair step. Not everyone's going to flood back to it, uh, but it's going to happen. Right. So you just need to be positioned to say, hey, listen, when you come back, we're safe. We're clean. Uh, It's an okay thing to do. Um, so that's kind of what I would think about. Neil, I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, I mean, w- one of the other ways that they can, you know, people want to be informed or they want humor. So on the humor, and, and I wish I could remember where this was. I think it was a museum somewhere in the United States where the security okay. guard was Cowboy museum. Working. Was yeah. it? Okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, just, I just ran the numbers on this. It's insane. Keep going and I'll, then I'll share the numbers. I mean, it's just brilliant. So I believe it was a security guard who's still working there and is one of the few people that is. And so he's, I think it's on TikTok, taken over the account or Instagram stories of the museum and just doing really fun, quirky, bizarre stuff because, you know, he's a security guard, not a social media expert having fun with it. And Matt, give the figures because it's... Dude, it was, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. I totally forgot. There's so many amazing examples that I just keep forgetting examples left and right. So here's what happens, right? The museum has to lay everybody off because no one can come to the museum, right? So everyone goes home. But the museum still has to protect the museum. So security guard still stays on. But they say, hey, listen, now you're going to be the social media guy, right? I just did a whole post on this. His first post says, I've got no clue what I'm doing. I have no concept of what I'm doing. Pre, he, so he takes over like March 17th. Pre him, the stats are like, you know, 0.2 uh, shares, you know, one retweet. I mean, like five likes. There's a 670x increase in two weeks in terms of likes after this guy takes over. Right. He does things that no one would ever do because he looks at it from such an authentic standpoint. He goes and he takes mannequins and he takes like cowboy mannequins and he puts these posts. They're hilarious. And I'm laughing just telling you about these. He takes a mannequin, sits it in the marketer's desk, takes a picture and goes, this is going to be a hilarious practical joke. Can't wait till he returns. Four days later, he goes back and he does a selfie looking in the same room and the mannequin's gone. And he goes, "Uh oh, <laughs> so it's like. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's brilliant. He's hilarious. Um, and he's doing them on all these shows. But yeah, 675x increase yeah. in engagement. But the museum could have very easily at the start seen that and said, no, this is totally wrong. This isn't the way you do it. This isn't the strategy. We're putting a block to it. But it's accepting that humor is also okay yeah. at, this, at this time as a way of helping people. And that is just a brilliant, brilliant one. Yeah, so maybe that's a plan for the airport as well. They might have to come up with a different take on it. Find, find a security guard, give him a phone, give him the keys to the account and just let him go, go to town. I think it could be interesting for sure. 
Um, let's take one more question. Um, I would invite Matt and Neil to jump into the Q and A like after and just like answer some some questions if you if you have the opportunity. Some really fantastic questions in here. But I, I want to ask one again. This 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 attendee chose to be anonymous, but it's a great question because I think it it sort of is a, a counterpoint to what we're talking about in regards to kind of empathy and authenticity. Anyway, so they ask. It feels like going live. Uh, empathy, authenticity, and moments of levity are oversaturating and over-indexing the brand social space right now. So how can brands make perhaps like differentiate from this? How can they kind of maybe get away from this message messaging if it's oversaturated, if it's too noisy, um, you know, at this point and also sort of like in the future? Matt? Uh, in terms of, I don't know if I really understand the question. Um, I think authenticity is always going to be a thing. I think that's like one of the big key things that we have to realize is now that individuals own media, like individuals are in like infinitely authentic in their own selves, right? Because they're sharing what is authentic to them. There is no agenda other than I may want to like, um, you know, so there is no sale in, in association with that. So I think that's always going to stay. Um, and, and maybe I just don't understand the question very well. Maybe it's just a kind of, you know, a counterpoint, you know, to, to the ways in which like the brands are um, jumping on that opportunity, right, to be empathetic and authentic. I mean, this may be just, oh, yeah. you know, so, you yeah. In the yeah. Yeah, sorry. So it's, think about it this way. Look at the examples that we've just shared. The examples that we've talked about, Dove, the security guard, these are not coming from the brand themselves, right? That's one of the big things that we have to realize is you've got to find ways to work with your marketplace and then if you do that, that's what's accepted. That's what scales. That's what goes out. You know, to Neil's point, right, there is no way that the future brand is going to be able to create the amount of content that they're going to have to need to sustain engagements on social media. It's just impossible to think that we can create that much content on our own. We have got to now start thinking about ways that we can work with our audience because when we do that, those messages are authentic. So it's no longer a, there's no saturation. Um, for that, right? It's not a brand being authentic. That's just the nature of how things happen. We just then happen to be a part of those conversations in an extremely contextual way. Um, and so I think, I mean, Neil, I'd love to get your take on that, but I mean, that's, that's what I believe is, you know, work with, not on. You know, I saw there's a, a, a brand out of the UK that's been growing massively called Gymshark. It's a sportswear brand. And I, I saw a, their CMO and CEO talking the other day and they said, we don't think we're great marketers. We're just great listeners. We listen to our audience really, really well and try and do our marketing messages to what is being said and asked for by them. And, and that's part of what, um, you know, influencers can be for brands. Influencers belong to that consumer audience group. So work with them, collaborate with them, ask them. They'll help come up with ideas. They represent the, the consumer group you're trying to talk to. We're fortunate in a way to have Sir John Hegarty as our chairman and why he got involved. He said this breaks down the walls between the end audience people are trying to talk to and the marketing and management teams within those companies collaborate together. To Matt's point, you can't produce all the content, collaborate with each other, listen to each other and learn from that. There are so many resources and people out there that can help with these um, things to come up with those new angles. And you can speak to niche groups differently as well. So you can be, make meaning to lots of different groups still right. with one overarching message. And I think that's the way people can, can you know, not feel lost in the noise. I mean, I mean, told by my team, we actually have a little bit more time so we can take some more questions, which is exciting. And we've got lots of great questions. So I want to try and get to, to a few more if we can. So, um, but this is for both of you, really. Like, how do you think the perception towards the platform companies has changed? Like, how has the sentiment changed pre versus 
during COVID? And, and what do you see their role being in society, like given, again, going back to kind of like obligation and responsibility? Uh, Matt, can we go first? Yeah, I was actually going to let Neil go first on this one. I think, you know, talking about the platforms is something probably he's kind of be a little bit more tuned in. Then I'll, then I'll add some context on the end. Sure, sure Neil. So I think, you know, first of all, it's shown how much of a valuable role they can play in community and society, which has to a degree always been there, but obviously some of the press of the last, you know, couple of years of also some of the challenges that they represent in society of messaging and manipulation and stuff like that. But, you know, could you imagine, you know, it's a bit like all the video conference capabilities. Imagine how disconnected society would feel right now through a crisis like this without tools like YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and how that's helped disseminate messages out there to people and how it's helped keep people entertained. So I, I think it has demonstrated the, the the value that they have in in community and society. I don't think it has done anything to detract from those challenges that still need to be dealt with post this. I still think they are being dealt with during this, but it's just not the topic of conversation uh, anymore. But the whole thing around you know, that someone can put out information and it could be misinformation and it gets out to people is still something that has to be dealt with. And I don't think this is, it, this, this isn't going to mean that that narrative doesn't take place. Um, no, I think it's a fair, I think it's a fair point. I think also, look, this isn't a get out of jail free card moment for the platform companies in terms of like shirking their responsibilities in terms of like, you know, needing to sort of think about the ways that they can better protect people, their users and society at large in all of the various different ways that they absolutely must. But I think the lens um, um, that we are now looking at these platforms through has changed um, and in a good way. And I think in a really important and constructive way, because I think your point, Neil, is really important. It's not that they weren't delivering or providing value before. It's just that we were looking at those platforms through a different lens. Certainly, uh, the media was anyway in terms of what they wanted to write about and focus on so i think the key message here um and the message that we should be like communicating to the platforms of course is like look you know you 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 know live up to um your potential uh, and the promise of what the platform and the technology and the tools and the utilities that you provide can offer um in the ways that they can make a positive difference um but at the same time double down on how um, you need to ensure that you safeguard uh, people, people's data, people's privacy, and obviously the misinformation piece is, is critically important as well. Matt, anything you want to add? No, I think that was spot on uh, in terms of, you know, it's not going to change the underlying factors that have to be fixed, um, but I do think it's going to open everyone else's eyes to how powerful these things are in terms of everyone's life, where you make a great point. If these things didn't exist, we would feel very distant, and this time would be much more difficult than it is currently. All right, so we have another question from a B2B marketer. So they work for a telecom company. The question is, uh, what should be our messaging now in addition to just promoting our solutions that can assist with working remotely? Uh, do we also look at solutions that can assist post-COVID? Yeah, I mean, that's a question. First off, I'd say, you know, what are your customers saying? Um, you know, it's like, you know, we, we can give you some high-level advice, but it, the biggest thing is ask your customers, right? This is one of the biggest things that we have to do right now. The needs of your customers are different week by week. If we're not sitting down and actually talking with them and having these conversations with them, setting up some type of customer advisory boards, some type of ongoing calls and getting that information, we just don't know because they're changing so fast. Um, so I'd say that's the best place to go to get that answer. 
Uh, but then the other aspect is yes, it's, you know, moving forward, start to anticipate what's going to be the needs and we can start to formulate how to talk about that moving forward, but do it with um, your, your audience by asking them. Neil, any thoughts on that? Nothing to add to that. That, that, that for me, I, I would just say that the one thing we've always found powerful in B2B marketing is getting our other customers to become advocates for us and testimonials. And so focusing on a few, asking a few, and then sharing the view that isn't talking about it just from us. It's, so that's what we've asked customers, then share what those customers have said. That tends to cut through more than just a brand saying it themselves as well. I've got a question here that may feel a little self-serving, but I'm interested to hear, hear your thoughts on this as well. So someone was asking um, whether we had any advice for substituting a trade show or sales meeting besides just a webinar. Webinars are filling all of my clients' inboxes right now. So I have a, 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 a take on this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts too. Um, but let me just like make this point. Um, I have been, I mean, I actually come from a digital background. That was my world before getting into kind of the, the world of producing events around the world. But over the course of the last 10, 10 years, we've, we've hosted hundreds and hundreds of events, thousands of sessions, all as part of in-person experiences. And there is a tremendous amount of value that comes with being able to connect and engage in person. But I will say this, um, Having spent the last month thinking deeply about the pivot to virtual and thinking about the ways in which um, we can deliver value for people, I, I, I just have to reference what's happening right now, right? The three of us are having a conversation. Neil is in California. Um, Matthew, you're in Nashville? Uh, South Carolina. I forgot where it was. <laughs> South Carolina, sorry, and and um, and you know our audiences are entirely global. They're everywhere. We're able to take questions live. We're able to interact and engage. We're able to host these kind of like live polls. There is so much value to what's happening right now, even in this conversation. Don't think about webinars. Webinars are kind of a bit of an old construct. Construct, but think about the value proposition. Think about the ways that this can be better than not just simply a replacement to. But anyway, that's my thought on it. Uh, Matt, any thoughts to add? Yeah, um, and so let's take two steps back. So I'm gonna give you an example of uh, how we pivoted our one of our largest in-person events down in Sydney, right? So we had Sydney World Tour, supposed to be 10,000 people. Uh, one of the things we had to do was pivot. Here's a couple of things that we found worked really, really well, right? So first off, we had to like do this digital and, and put all this content on so people could watch. But we didn't just expect people to watch, we, we did things to help make those experiences very personal, very authentic. So we gave salespeople the ability to send swag and swag packages, right? Specifically to each company. So they could put on watch parties. So they could have a watch party around the thing. Um, I just got off a call with a buddy of mine who works for a company that sell, that sends direct mail. And they've been talking about, you know, how people are using direct mail in combination with these events. And they're sending direct mail pieces a day in advance. And the direct mail piece is a, is a three-fold envelope with a, you know, package of popcorn in the middle. It says, get your popcorn ready for the webinar tomorrow, right? So it's like, think about ways to, to wrap things around, wrap experiences around. How do you connect people? I think this Q&A session, I think this live, you know, conversation is super valuable. Um, so don't just think about it. How can I present content? But think about it, how can I make the experience interactive? Um, whether that is you send something to somebody and everyone does the activity at the same time. We also did that. 
Solar Buddy is a nonprofit we supported. Um, so we sent Solar Buddies and it's a, you know, we would build these things and it's a light and it's a nonprofit and we would send it back. We did that and we sent that to lots of different organizations and we all built them together at the same time. So yes, you can't be in the same room. You can't watch somebody on stage, but it doesn't mean you can't have really cool experiences. That's well said, Neil. You know, it's a really interesting one. Pre this, had there been a virtual summit, given all the industry events that I go to, would I have gone on to a virtual summit? I'm not sure if the answer is yes um, to that. And that's what this brings about. It fast forward and it makes you try things and go, well, hold on. All this technology is here. And as Matt said, you can do all these things to make it interactive and engaging and, and still have some real world interactions within a virtual thing as well. Will this become a bit more of a norm? I'm sure it will, as will also video calls with clients and companies. Always at our company, try to encourage people, don't pick up the phone, don't email, video, always ask for video right. calls. I do hope with it, though, enough in real life stuff still carries on. I saw something the other day talking about, you know, with phones and social media and all this stuff, actually people are lonelier than they've ever been, even though they're more connected in many ways than they've ever been. And so I think the... The in real life events are still the most impactful and the best way to do something. But it doesn't mean you can't have amazing virtual events that can't contribute, can't add value and can't keep conversations going on and, and, and learnings uh, throughout it all. And I think people will be far more open minded to it. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we, we maintained this from the beginning of, of launching social media weeks. The reason why we used to you know, host so many com conferences simultaneously around the world, we wanted to reach and connect people you know in real time we wanted to create like this connected experience which of course is really hard to do when people um are physically constrained they can't travel they can't afford to attend your physical conference you know whatever it might be and and i think that in a way we're, we're really starting to kind of realize some of those those earlier ideas now that that everybody is on board with the fact that in-person gatherings are at least for the time being not going to be um, a possibility in just to sort of like um, support that point, I'm going to take a question from, from Carlos, um, who's in Spain. Um, and he, he asked, I think, a super interesting question. So in times of COVID, where 100% of the information is about the virus, do you think it's convenient or, or perhaps relevant or even appropriate to talk about other topics, important topics, such as global warming and sustainability, circular economy, et cetera? Or do you think that audiences, um, you know, are just not interested or won't appreciate, you know, the conversations that aren't directly connected to what's happening right now. Matt, I think you probably have some interesting thoughts on this. Yeah, so I think there's two ways to think about it. One, that answer is going to change week by week. Um, so if you ask that question this week, is it going to be the same answer next week? And the answer is no. Um, so, you know, we have to be very cautious and keep a, an ear and an eye out on when is this going to peak in terms of conversations and when are people ready to move forward with it. And I, I don't think we're at that point yet, but I think we're getting pretty close um, in terms of if you have a conversation that's not about this, uh, social media is pretty much going to stamp it down. Um, so you're not going to get much of an organic lift from it. Um, and that will change over time. And as you know, just you can test the waters, right? You can test some of these conversations and then look at what's happening with it. Look at how the algorithms are dealing with it. And that could be a pretty good clue as to how the world at large uh, may be feeling about these things. But I think that is a question you have to ask each week um, until we get to the other side of this. Yeah, I think that's probably right, Neil. I agree completely with that. And I think it's, they are super important topics. And I think they all go back to that point I was making about, I hope out of this, it just accelerates that push of conscious consumerism uh you know coming up april 22nd is earth day 
So, you know, that's going to be a moment of talking about, you know, sustainability, uh, the climate change and everything like that. So maybe that will be a moment when things start to not pivot, but that's an opportune moment to bring back that conversation. And I think it can tie in all together with let's be more responsible citizens of our planet in general, full stop. Yeah. And, and I think you make a phenomenal point, Neil. And I think that is going to be a big conversation a lot of us are going to have is let's not let this die when we change back. And when I say let this, it's the, exactly the things you say, right? We all are looking around the world and reading stories about the environment is much healthier today, right? We know what it can take and we can see the results outside of our own windows. Do we go back and change that? If we do, that's on us, right? Like, are we then going to, you know, lose the connectivity that we have with each other? You know, I think it's, it's, that's the question we're going to have to ask. And I think that's the push we're going to have to make is asking people, but it's also on us as marketers to make sure that we follow along with that, right? We can't then just go say, go buy our stuff for no reason. We have to change our offers and our asks as well. Um, and our business models are going to have to change to keep pace with that. But that's where I go back to the consumer, because if they vote with their wallet, you're going to have to change because otherwise you're not going to be selling ultimately. And if it's, you know, isn't there that website who's helping or something like that, that again, has got quite good traction. You know, I, I think this is going to drive more consumers to actually force it by voting with their, their wallet and keeping a track of, you know, I've seen so many examples of people saying, oh, well, with what, you know, one brand did when I'm next on the high street and can be in a shop and there are five options on a shelf, I'm going to pick from that brand because they were the ones that I saw helping out in this scenario. So one of the major challenges that, that we're all experiencing right now are, you know, just significant layoffs in our industry and across all industries. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's really tough out there for a lot of people and particularly those that have, you know, already been laid off. In the context of marketers specifically, like what, what's your advice or what strategy should people think about? Um, sorry, this is from Kenny Soto, by the way, one of our, one of our audience members. Um, what, what advice or what strategy should they be thinking about in terms of how they should be promoting themselves to hiring managers, to companies that are looking to hire at this point? Matt? Yeah, so I'd say um, there's a great book uh, Mark Schaefer wrote a little while ago called Known. Um, and he likes to tell a story and he says, listen, he goes, he was going up and there was a, a major, major, major organization that was looking to hire um, some social media, um, you know, but they're looking to hire somebody to help them out with stuff, right? And so he goes in and he sits in this meeting and it was a, a branch of the military and there's a bunch of generals around the table and he sits down and they say, hey, listen, Hey, Mark, it's great to see you. We've been reading a lot of your stuff. And he's just blown away that the people on the other side of this table who are interviewing him to hire his company know who he is and follow his work. Right? And he says that's from the moment he realized if that's what you go into, no one else is going to win. He knew he was going to win that deal because he was known. Right? So I would say personal branding is something that you can work on. And then what are the, and that's something you can do right now. But if you're going into interviews, I would say just, you know, it's the standard, right? Make sure that you know what they, they are focused on. Make sure you're very up on what they're doing and how they're responding. I and mean, then I'd say, make sure you do that. But I'd say you must work on your personal brand right now if it's possible. Yeah. Neil, thoughts? I guess uh, relevant to my world, the only thing that I'd add is that, you know, TikTok has been, you know, forever growing and out of this has had the fastest growth of anything. It is a channel that is here to remain. That's pretty undoubted at this point in time. And it is a channel that so many do not have good knowledge of. And so if I was looking to give myself any kind of, you know, advantage at how I might stand out, it would be going and investing time in that platform to really understand what can be done. Cause I think there's going to be a lot of brands looking to, and you know, part of the things what people are doing at this time is experimenting. 
that is a place that they're doing it. And I think compared to every, lots of other channels in the marketing ecosystem, it's one that's underserved. I think another one that's underserved is, is gaming and, and Twitch. There are many experts in it, but again, relative to the field, those are, are two categories that I think are quite underserved. Yeah, no, well, so how, how's Shape been doing, by the way? Uh, he's recovering. Um, so I'm actually filling in for him tomorrow. So uh, if, if you guys listen to him, he does a podcast every week. Um, so I'm actually doing the uh, filling in for him tomorrow because he's not going to be able to be the host. So but he's recovering oh, good. So Good, good, good. It's good to hear. Well, do do send uh, him our very best and, and well wishes. And uh, it's great great to hear that he's uh, recovering, of course. Let's um, take a couple more questions. Um, so... Um, interesting the context of uh, jobs someone did ask um you know should i you know is this a good time to consider becoming an influencer <laughs> i mean yes in many a way it, you know it, some some argue the market is saturated and there are lots of people doing it but there is still a world of opportunity and an audience to connect with and now more than ever people are looking for sources of inspiration and education so if you have a point of view and something to share then yes, there has probably never been a better time with people at home looking for that uh, to go out there. You you do need to find your point of dis differentiation. And I always think, it, don't worry about going and getting tons and tons and tons of followers. Worry about being really meaningful to a core audience, whatever size that be, and you will hold value and can grow um, from there. And in terms of platforms with new opportunity, again, back to TikTok, that's probably the one with the most you know, growth opportunity on it moment. And it doesn't mean there aren't on the others and you shouldn't still be investing time there. But no, there's probably never been a better time when people are there on their phones. But just have a point of view and care about being important to a core few and meaningful and it will grow from there. Don't worry about trying to get to tons and tons of followers. Yeah, I'd a second question, that. A question from Daniel Gomez. So where what's your kind of view and opinion on the traditional media world right now in, in particular when we think about it in the context of advertising um you know that everything is sort of you know sh was shifting to digital um we're now seeing an acceleration of that um you know what what role do you see traditional media playing now and in the future and i'm not talking about the news networks necessarily but just talking about like broadcast media as a marketing and advertising channel this is such a this is such an amazing topic. Great question. So thanks for asking this. If we start to look at the data, we we see a lot of people thinking that this is going to be a media apocalypse. We're, we're going to see a lot of die off of traditional media channels. Um, you've seen a lot of you know traditional print. Um, local newspapers are usually in conglomerates. They usually you know fifty different like you know small town newspapers are owned by a central publisher. Those are all going under um, at, at a rapid rate. Um, and at the exact same time, we start looking at what are a lot of other publications doing. Uh, CNN just bought a um, canopy. I believe that was two days ago. You see a lot of people making investments in new formats of media and figuring out ways that they're going to expand the experiences of what they're creating and how they're creating these things. So I think it's going to go through a transformation. Right? I think we're going to see a very different landscape in terms of what media is, um, how it's going to interact, um, and then what their value is to consumers. Um, and how they and they do those things, but yeah, but it's a lot of people are going to go under. Um, there's going to be fewer channels. Um, those that really are staying relevant, or you know, they're, everyone's struggling from that traditional media standpoint, just because of ad revenues are down. Right, Neil. Anything to add? I mean, it's 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 anecdotal, and it's not to necessarily compare the crisis to war, although it's been described as a in a war in some respects. A friend told me the other day, so this is not a verified stat. During World War Two when they look back at it over history, there was four times the level of innovation that took place in industry in general 
during that time than in normal times. And it's coalesces with stuff we've already talked about. It basically hits the fast forward button because it forces that transformation. I'm sure you've all seen that LinkedIn post. What, what drove the transformation at my company? You know, the, the management team, the transformation director or COVID-19. Yeah. It, it just hits fast forward on things that were already taking place. Maybe there'll be some fundamental new things as well. Right. But I, I think it's just an accelerant to transformation. And with that, some will disappear. Some will grasp onto transformation quicker mm-hmm. and, and, and take decisions that might have taken years to decide. Yeah. They'll make that decision and it will help them get to the other side in a, in a new and in a renewed place where they can actually go on lasting longer yeah. and maybe arrest some of the slow decline. I think there's also some really interesting tech that's coming out. Um, Scroll is a really great example. Um, so if you're not familiar with Scroll, Scroll is a, a tool that allows anybody to read articles online without having to see ads on the right-hand side or below. And what it actually does is pays the publisher directly for the content rather than letting them take the ad revenue. So it's a different model of revenue for these people. Um, so I think you're going to see different revenue models um, when you start looking at subscription. Um, a lot of people in traditional media place are actually saying that we're going to double down and increase more subscriptions and, and more of our revenue is going to come from subscription revenue. Um, so that kind of help protect them from this ad revenue crisis. Um, you're seeing, uh, you know, Quibi just started. Um, that's a totally radically new concept of media. Um, and, and why I think it's so interesting that we should all look at it is because for two just simple reasons. One, they said, what is the context of time and content consumption, right? We all know how long we spend in front of a screen but we don't really understand that that time is split up over many, many moments across the time. So when they said, we're gonna do a mobile only and it's only gonna be 10 minutes and the entire story is gonna come in 10 minutes, to me, that was brilliant because what's the context? How long do you have? You can't watch a full 30 minute video if you've only got 10 minutes, you may, but the likelihood of you starting it knowing you can't finish it is probably, is pretty deterrent. Um, So that's a really interesting concept of where things may be moving, but I, I totally agree on the fast forward button. Yeah, well said. Um, okay, so um, we're going to wrap up in just a couple of minutes. I have sort of one more question for both of you. Um, it's a question I ask like, a lot of my friends and sort of fellow entrepreneurs. Um, they're sort of related, I suppose, which is like, you know, what form um, will your phoenix take as you rise from the ashes of COVID-19? And, and sort of connected to that, uh, I, I'm sort of interested to hear from both of you in terms of like, what are you most hopeful about at this point in time? Neil? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I, I got two parts of the answer. One that's, uh, you know, slightly selfish. That fast forward plays well for digital businesses that are doing something uh, disruptive. And I believe hopefully for a you know, company in the influencer space that's both reaching audiences and got a, you know, content creation model that, you know, I'm waiting for us to be the source of a Super Bowl ad. And I think that's going to be the possibility in the future. That is a reason for, for optimism. I think as well for them, for me, it's just the way that teams have taken to working from home and staying connected has really surprised me. Uh, and I always thought we'd do okay with it, but it's just, it's really amazing at how people have been able to adapt to that and the tools and technology and the fact that something like this is taking process. So it's the fact that I do, you know, and it's not my view, it's a view shared by many and the journalists and stuff like that. A post COVID-19 world is going to be a different world in the way society interacts. And I think that's actually in many ways very optimistic for, for how better connected we're going to be. And, you know, the amount of time people are saving by not having to travel to the office every day. Will people have to work from the office every day? What do people get with that time back? How can people contribute to help people more? I think that's a really interesting place for where we go as a, as a society. Yes, Matthew. 
Yeah, I think I'm just more optimistic. Like some of the things that we said, and just to kind of, you know, tag on with the back of Neil said, more, better connectivity between humans. I, I think that's where I'm really hopeful for this. And also, I think I'm very hopeful, not necessarily thinking it's going to happen, but hoping it will happen. Also, to Neil's uh, comment about, you know, be more conscious consumers, right? Understanding what we're purchasing, why we're purchasing it. Um, and and to, to me, I think this is a really big win for a lot of startups that have different business models are going to be able to prove um, that these are better models, that these are better brands, and they're going to get a jump start. And then that's going to cause the reverse for other people to then follow suit and see that that's a viable alternative. Um, so that's what I'm hopeful about is, is a new world of, of you know, more conscious consumers. If you're an entrepreneur today starting a brand, there's no way on earth you start it and be su truly successful without a conscious consumerism mm -hmm. angle to it, giving back sustainable supply chain and communicating that audience. All the best brands that are coming out of the last year all have that core in the day. It's not a CSR policy. It's core to what they, what they do. And By I wrote a way, whole chapter about that in my new book there, Neil. So just a plug right there. <laughs> Nicely done. It's a great way for us to wrap up. Um, this is just a phenomenal conversation. I'm, I'm hugely appreciative to both Matthew and Neil for joining us today. Thanks to all of our audience members for your questions, for your participation, for, for, for responding to our poll questions, of course. Um, stay safe, everyone. That was fun. To hear more speakers like Neil, be sure to stay tuned to this feed over the next month, and we encourage you to go to socialmediaweek.org for more information about the SMW1 Virtual Conference on May 5th through the 28th, and to sign up for the 5 Things newsletter. Thanks for listening to the 5 Things. The 5 Things Podcast is produced by Andrew Petit, Grace McDougall, Joey Scarillo, John Dillon, and Al Manorino, and recorded at Townhouse Studios. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Social Media Week is a leading conference and industry news platform that curates and shares insights, emerging trends, and best practices with the world's smartest digital marketers. Gray is the exclusive global creative insights partner for Social Media Week. Check out more at gray.com.